We're going to finish out Leviticus today. Uh, so hopefully uh, you have seen it from a different perspective and, and have begun to appreciate uh, God's word. And, and the next time you come across this book, it's not something that you just quickly gloss over, but really dive into the heart of what God is trying to show us. Uh, but life can be hard. We know that it can be stressful. And, and when, when, when things are getting hard, people can get desperate, right? Uh, people can, can make decisions or, or make promises or do some of the craziest things when they really feel like they're pushed up against the wall and perhaps there's no other options and they don't see a way out that and people get really really desperate and they do things that's beyond rational and realistic and and for us watching it can be really difficult sometimes to watch people go through something like that and, and you're like it's no like there's help we, we can get you through this but again people people get desperate you know so I taught middle school for a, a bunch of years and um, where I was at, it was the first year in the middle school and you had different elementary schools coming together. Uh, and so there was a change physically for people. There was a change mentally going on. And one of the biggest things that I saw was this desire for kids to want to fit in. Uh, and so I would see kids change their haircuts. I would see kids change their clothes. Uh, I would see where, you know, they'd be hanging out with this one kid and then all of a sudden, just like that, they're no longer friends and now they're making fun of them because now they're trying to fit in with this group of kids. Uh, and it was really hard to watch sometimes. But one of the things that was not uncommon was when a kid would make this promise and he would say to another kid, he'd say, look, For that piece of gum, I'll be your best friend. And I'm telling you, that may sound silly, but in a middle school, bad breath could be a death sentence for a kid. Um, and so they would make that promise. And listen, best friend status, like that's not easy, guys. Like that's a 24-7 gig. I mean, that's like the good and the bad, like the tears of sadness where you got to console and the happiness of joy. You know, like when they've when they've got the bad haircut, like you got to be the one to gently tell them that kind of stuff. You know, you got to attend every party, every event. Uh, best friend status is a lot, right? Now, I, I can say that a lot of times when that promise was made, though, and that piece of gum was given, by the time that gum lost its flavor, that best friend status was over, right? <laughs> now, I, I say that in fun and I, I say that in jest, um, but we do. We make a lot of promises that we can't keep, right? Again, we, we, things happen in lives and, and, and we make these promises to God and then we realize I, I can't really fulfill that, that promise. Um, and so as we finish out Leviticus, we're going to be in Leviticus chapter 27. So if you want to open and get yourself set there, um, we're going to talk about these promises and commitments, right? How does God handle these promises that we make. And so again, we've been going through the book. How do we go from outside the presence of God into the presence of God? We've talked about all of the, the standards for God's holiness and the sacrifices and the priests and the rituals and, and how God is calling us to live and worship him. And at the very same time, how are we called to live in relation with other people in this world? 
And then we got to the Day of Atonement, the holiest day of the year where, again, the Israelites would, would have their sins forgiven uh, you know, by sacrificing this one goat uh, and then placing the sins on the other goat and sending that goat away. And then ultimately, again, this becomes a symbol to us of the fulfillment of Christ. Um, and so last week we, we talked about the, the laws and the blessings of, of God if we obey. We talked about the cursings of God if we didn't. We said, you know, this is the deal uh, that God lays out for us. And so now we come to the final chapter here. Leviticus chapter 27, verses 1 and 2. Uh, the Lord said to Moses, speak to the Israelites and say to them, if anyone makes a special vow... So God is addressing now this idea of a special vow. A special vow was essentially somebody making a, a free will offering to God, making some sort of commitment out of their own accord. So, so God is not requiring them to do whatever the special vow is. It's just that a person themselves has chosen to offer to something to God out of their own will um, and God says, well, let me address this, though, because I want to make sure that we're all on the same page when you make a vow like this to me. Now, two reasons primarily why a person would do this. One, God may have done something in their life that they were extremely grateful for. It was a sign of gratitude to God to say, God, you blessed me in a way that I now want to give back out of response to you. So that was, that was one reason why a special vow might have been made. Another one may have been that, again, somebody was in a desperate situation and they are crying out to God and basically saying, God, if you answer this prayer, I promise I will then do this. Okay, so those are the two main reasons why people would have, have done that. Uh, and these vows carry a lot of weight. These are not to be taken lightly in this process. And as we'll go through chapter 27, you have four main categories. Uh, there's a vow of people, a vow of an animal, a vow of an object, and a vow of land. So these are the four that he's going to address. And so I'll walk us through each of those vows. And then again, right, what is God trying to communicate to us? What do we take away? What, what lies, what should be lying within our hearts as we finish off the book of Leviticus? So in verse two, he talks about if you dedicate a person to the Lord. Right. So if I choose to say, hey, God, you get this person, you get this child in my family. Right. What are the rules about if we want that person back? Right. So I say, here you go, God. And then we decide that, that we want it back. Now, the system that's laid out there in verses two through eight is based off of gender and it's based off of age. Uh, and so you can see there on the screen, you can see uh, what it would cost. And again, why would somebody want to dedicate a person? Well, I just said, maybe God did something special in their lives that they want to, there's an act of gratitude. Or again, they're in a desperate situation and they're praying to God that basically, God, if you answer this prayer, I will give you my child. Okay, so, so that's how important this may have been for this, for this person. Now, when, when you dedicated a person to the, to the Lord, typically what that meant was they're going to serve in the tabernacle in some sort of way. They may help the priest, they may help the Levites, or they may just be working in the fields of the priest and the Levites. So we're not saying like dedicate and we're going to sacrifice this child. That absolutely would have been wrong. Okay, so let's be clear. That's not what they're doing with this dedication of a person. 
But again, the desire to buy back may have been, hey, I made a vow to you that I, you know, I'm going to dedicate this child for you know, so, many, so many months or for a year, and now it's back, that time is finished, and now I want that child back. Or we make this vow, and then after God fulfills it, and we start to think, hey, I just dedicated my child, we're like, and maybe that wasn't such a good idea you know, it's kind of the like, hey, God, can I have it back now type of mentality? And so God says, that's fine. If you want to if you want to bring back, if you want to redeem or buy back that person. Well, here's what you need to do. You basically need to pay so many shekels based off the age and based off the gender. Now, let's understand that, again, God is not valuing men over women. We are all equally valued as individuals in the Lord. The reason why we have a difference there is because this is an agricultural society. And essentially what you are paying for is the value of labor. Right. A middle aged man is going to produce more output in labor than a baby girl. That's why a middle-aged man would have been more expensive to buy back than it would be a baby girl at this point. Okay, so, so let's not misconstrue that. So that's what it would take if you wanted to buy a person back. Now, what about an animal? Let's say I dedicate an animal to the Lord. Well, if I dedicate a clean animal, and we talked about what clean and unclean animals were, there was no redeeming a clean animal. That was always going to be God's. You couldn't get that back. And, we, and when we talked in the Day of Atonement, um, Leviticus 17, 11, it says, For the life of a creature is in the blood, and I've given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. And it's the blood that makes atonement for one life. Why could you not get a clean animal back? Because those clean animals were designed for sacrifice to God. And God is basically saying, you can't take this sacrifice back because this sacrifice is what is being shed for you and for the forgiveness of your sins until Christ eventually comes. Now, if you, if you dedicated an unclean animal, that you could buy back. Now, why would we dedicate an unclean animal to God? Well, again, that animal could have been used in the fields. It could have been used for travel. It could have been used for transportation. So there would have been some logical reasons why you would have given another animal to the priest or to the Levites uh, to be able to, to do. And if you wanted that back, so time has gone by and you're like, man, I really, need, I really need my donkey back. I really need this animal back. You basically take the value of that animal and you add one fifth to it and then you get the animal back. Okay, so essentially you're just adding a fifth of the value, right? So if it's $100, I now have to pay $120. Good. All right. I, some of you were probably still counting on your fingers. Um, so that was the animal. Now, what about an object? Now, the object they give here is a house. So if I choose to dedicate my house... Very same principle here, right? Maybe I'm giving you this house and the, and the Levites, the priests, their families are going to use it. They're going to live in it and give lodging. If I'm like, hey, I want my house back. Same thing. What is the value of the house? Let's add one fifth of the value and then you can have your house back. And then the land. If I choose to give my field, my property, my land to God, what do I need to do to get that back? Well, that's going to be based on the size of the land and how much seed it's going to take to farm that field 
And it's going to be based off of how many years we have left to the year of Jubilee. Remember, we talked about the year of Jubilee, that every 50 years, basically all that land goes back to the original owner. This was a way of God providing for his people uh, as a sign of his covenant and his promise to them that they would be taken care of. Now, the one... If one was closer to the year of Jubilee, it would be less expensive, right? Because essentially they've already gotten their value, so it would be less. But if it's like, hey, we're in year two and we've got like 48 years to go, it would have cost me more money to do that. And the cost would have also been, it says here, 50 shekels for a homer of seed. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I did my best to research how much 50 shekels for a homer of seed is. I couldn't figure it out, so I don't know if we have any farmers that may have any idea. You could help me out afterwards. Uh, so let's just assume it's going to cost a lot of money to try to get this land back. Okay? Um, so the only other piece, though, was if you didn't buy that land back by the year of Jubilee, that permanently now had belonged to the priest and to the Levite. So if I dedicate this piece of property and you don't ever buy it back, you don't ever get to buy it back after that. It's going gonna, it's gonna to belong. So, uh, so th- those were the decisions that were made. So those were the four ideas, how you could buy something back if you had a special vow. Now we come to verses 26 to 33, though. And he has some of these other rules here. And he says, look, it, if, if you're going to make a special vow, if you're going to dedicate something, I, I just have to lay out some clarifying things here for you. He says, first off, you, you can't dedicate your firstborn child to me, okay? You, you can't dedicate the tithe of the clean animals, right? You can't take the 10% of those clean animals and say, here you go, God, because they already belong to me, right? I, I can't give something to God that already belongs to God and say, hey, God, this is a special vow. Look how wonderful and special I am, how much I love you. God's like, no, 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 that's already mine. Okay, and the reason why God always took the first fruits and he took the firstborn and the first of the animals, because that was God's way of reminding the people that everything you have comes from me. So the first of what you get is going to already belong to me because I have given it to you. So again, I can't give to God what is what is already to God's at this point. Um, And we will eventually see, though, that uh, when the Israelites rebelled um, in in Exodus with the golden calf, the only group of people that didn't side with um, with Aaron uh, was the Levites. And so God would eventually in Numbers 8 say, look, here, we're going to make a special deal here. I'm just going to take the tribe of Levi. They will represent the entire firstborn, and I will just have all of them, right? So essentially, a Levite could not dedicate his child and go, here you go, God, here's my Levite child, because God's like, no, that child already belongs to me. So you'll have to find a different special vow for that. But something interesting happens here in verse 28. He says this. He says, but nothing that a person owns and devotes to the Lord, whether a human being or an animal or family land may be sold or redeemed. Everything so devoted is most holy to the Lord. So we have a change here. He's been using the word dedicate. But now he uses the word devote. See, if you devote something to God, that was also a special vow, but it had a different nuance. This was an irrevocable vow that said, there's no take backs here. 
If you dedicate something to me, there's an option where you can have that back. But if you devote something to me, it's mine forever. And so we, we, we've talked all through Leviticus. We've talked all about these sacrifices. And, and now we're, we're talking about dedicating and devoting and adding one fifth uh, to, to be able to redeem and buy something back. And, it, and to me, when I read this, I thought this seems like a very odd way to end Leviticus. Really, quite frankly, I, I felt like last week, the Leviticus 27 was really the great way to end it. Because to me, it was like God was like, look, I laid out the rules. Are you going to follow them or not? If you follow them, you will be blessed. And if you don't, there will be cursing. And that to me was like that was the end of the discussion. So why do we have this last piece here about God addressing their special vows? Well, there's three things that I, I want us to think about. The first one is this. The reason why I think we have this is because it continues to show God's grace and mercy and compassion for us. Deuteronomy 23 says, If you make a vow to the Lord your God, do not be slow to pay it. For the Lord your God will certainly demand it of you and you will be guilty of sin. But if you refrain from making a vow, you will not be guilty. Whatever your lips utter, you must be sure to do because you made your vow freely to the Lord your God with your own mouth. And then Ecclesiastes 5 continues this thought and he says, When you make a vow to God, do not delay to fulfill it. He has no pleasure in fools. Fulfill your vow. It is better to not make a vow than to make one and not fulfill it. Do not let your mouth lead you into sin and do not protest to the temple messenger. My vow was a mistake. Why should God be angry at what you say and destroy the work of your hands? So God's like, look, if you're going to make a vow to me, you better make sure that you fulfill it. Quite frankly, I'm going to be honest with you. It's probably better that you don't make a special vow to me because then you won't be guilty. You won't be liable of sinning and not fulfilling the promise that you said you were going to do. But see, this is where I think God is so good to us. Because God knows we can be pretty dumb sometimes, right? We can be pretty thick-headed. We can be rash. We can be thoughtless. And we can be careless with our words and our actions. We can make some really foolish and bad decisions, don't we? And this is, this is where God steps in and says, I'm telling you not to do this. I know you'll do it anyway. But I also still love you. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you an out when you make these mistakes. What I'm going to do is give you an opportunity to find redemption. And isn't that why Christ has come? Because, see, we have a human tendency to, to, to be extremely grateful for God when he gives us what we want uh, and and. We can be praising him when we need something, but we are very quick to neglect and forget God once that's been given to us in our lives. 
right? God, I need this. God, I need this. God, please, would you do this? Please, would you do this? Thank you, God. Great. Now I'm going to go on with my life. And so when we make vows to God, God understands that. And God says to us, it's okay. I'm merciful and I'm gracious and I'm forgiving. So that's the first thing. The second thing we need to understand is we can't take God lightly. You know, it's not like I was playing a game and I didn't know the rules. It's not like I've never driven down 611 and I don't know the speed limit. I know who I'm dealing with. I know that God is an almighty, powerful and holy God and has created this universe and can do whatever he wants at the disposal of a snap of his finger. And though God is forgiving and he's gracious and he's slow to get anger, God also reminds us, though, he says, look, there is still a cost and a consequence to your sin and your foolishness. I get it. I get you were desperate and you, you made a rash decision and you made a vow that you shouldn't have. And I'm willing to forgive that. But you still came before me and you said that and you couldn't fulfill that promise. And there has to be some accountability to the things that we do. And especially if you use the devotion. See, it's one thing if I say I dedicate, but I know the rules. And if I'm going to devote myself to God, if I'm going to devote my child to God, I know that when I make that vow, that is a no take back clause. And I'm going to be held accountable to that then. And I have to live with that decision. So when we enter into the presence of God, we need to make sure that we remember who we are standing before and who we are. We can be so nonchalant with God. We can be so flippant with him sometimes. We can be so demanding of him. We, we so often go into the presence of God with such arrogance, thinking that God owes me something. God does not owe us anything. We should be thankful for anything that we get from God. Because when we fail to fulfill that vow, that is a sign of ingratitude and that is a sign of disrespect to our God. So let us not enter into his presence lightly. And the third thing I want us to think about this is I want us to see this from the holistic picture of who Christ is. We see so much in the Old Testament of how these these breadcrumbs are pointing his people to Jesus Christ. And he's leading them there and he's leading them there. And so we're, we're talking about the idea of redemption and the idea to buy back and how the Israelites could make a vow and buy something back. But it would cost them something to do that. Romans 1.32 tells us that although we knew God's righteous decree... 
that those who do such things deserve death. They not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. Guys, we know the rules. And what do we do? We break them all the time. We know what God's word is. We know what God's holiness is. We know the standard that we are supposed to live up to. And we are constantly violating that. And if we are honest, there are times where we approve of that violation. Where we we support people and say, that's okay that you did that. It's okay. We justify our own sins. So we deserve to die. We are dedicated to death. But again, God in his goodness said, I don't want that though. I want to redeem you and I want to buy you back from the punishment of sin. And 1 Peter 1 tells us, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. See, God bought us back. He he didn't buy us back with an animal sacrifice. He didn't buy us back with with one-fifth of our value as human beings. No, God bought us back by sending His Son, Jesus Christ, and He bought us back with His own blood on the cross. He was the perfect lamb and the ultimate sacrifice that all of these sacrifices in Leviticus are pointing to. And so why this final chapter? Why talking about dedication and devotion? Because now it's the question that we need to wrestle with. What do we do with the blood of Christ? You know, when Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he's talking to them about the cost of discipleship. In Matthew 16 Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. He says to his disciples, he says, look, if you want to be my disciple, what you need to do is you need to pick up my cross. And what did that mean? Well, when when the Romans forced people to carry the cross, it was their symbolic nature to basically say by you carrying your cross is submitting to our authority. And so what Christ is saying to his disciples is if you carry my cross, you are going to submit your life to my authority. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to submit your life to me? When we talk about submitting our lives, it just doesn't mean, sure, I'll I'll come to church, you know, Easter's coming up, I'll come then. Submitting our lives to Christ just doesn't mean, well, I, I promise I won't say so many bad words anymore. Submitting our lives to Christ just just isn't the idea that I'm going to add a little bit more money to the offering plate. Submitting our lives to Christ just doesn't mean, well, well, I'm going to I'm going to get myself into a small group. That's what I'll do. I'll 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 come to the church and I'll do renovations that that's not what submission is. 
Romans 12. It says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. What is submission? You're offering your body as a living sacrifice. You know, there, there's an old missionary tale where a, a missionary went to a, a Native American re- reservation and he shared the gospel. And one night he was sitting there with the chief and the chief said, I'm, I'm ready to follow Jesus. And so as the missionary and the chief sat there and this fire was going on, the, the chief went over and he took his bow and arrow, and this well-crafted bow, a symbol of his power. And he took the bow and he took these arrows and he throws them into the fire. And the missionary looks at him and says, it's not enough. So the chief has this ornate robe on. It's well decorated and warm, fine animal skin. And he takes that off and he throws it into the fire. The missionary looks at him and says, it's not enough. So he takes off his headdress, decorative feathers. This was the symbol of his authority over the tribe. And he throws that into the fire. And the missionary looks at him and he says, it's not enough. So the chief is sitting there and he's thinking to himself, I don't know what else. I don't know what else to do. And he cries out to God and he says, all I have left, all I have left, God, is myself to give you. And the missionary says, that's all that God ever wanted from you. God calls us to be holy. He calls us to obedience. He calls us to be a light and salt to this world. And again, I look at Leviticus and I say, we could have finished the last chapter of whether I will follow God and think about blessing or disobey him and have cursing. But God said, no, 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 that is not the end of this. Because now we need to decide what we are going to do with this. What are you going to do with my holiness and my righteousness? What are you going to do with the blood of Jesus Christ? Are you actually going to follow me? I think this is the question that we need to decide. Are we going to dedicate or are we going to devote our lives to God? See, I can dedicate my life to Christ when it's convenient. I can play the game of holiness when it sees fit into my schedule. Where I can devote myself to God and say, God, I am all in. And there is nothing, nothing else that I will ever give my life to. So just as Romans said, 
Are you going to offer yourself as a living sacrifice? Are you 100% all in? And that means every single part of your life needs to be devoted to serving Christ. Because if I'm not giving everything to God, then I've not given anything to him. Let's pray. God, first off, let me just again thank you for this series. Thank you for reminding me that I can't earn your love. I can't earn your salvation. God, you freely give it to me. God, I thank you that you have shown me what holiness is and and the cost of that. But now I need to decide of how I'm going to live. And I pray, Father, that you convict me, that you remind me where I have strayed. And Lord, that I do not live in fear. I do not live in fear of this world, of this culture, of man, of what it can do to me. But I live in the holy and healthy fear of who you are, that I serve a mighty and powerful God. And you have called me to be different. And you have called me to go forward into this world, proclaiming your glories of who you are. And Lord, proclaiming that there is a way of redemption and that is through your blood. So Lord, I just pray, challenge us. May we devote our lives to you.